Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio right here in coastal Mississippi. I'm thrilled to be here as we continue to celebrate the men and women who are working so hard to make Mississippi a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, listen, um, I want to welcome our, our listeners and viewers on Super Talk TV and, of course, YouTube and Facebook and all of that from uh, the Delta markets and from the Jackson markets along with my friends from coastal Mississippi as we continue a great conversation uh, about this great state of Mississippi and the people who are really, really working hard in the trenches to make it great. And listen, I've been really looking forward to this next conversation that we're going to be having. Um, the, the guy's name is Grant Callen, and he is the uh, founder and CEO of Empower Mississippi. We'll talk about what all that is about, but more than anything, Grant and I are just going to have a conversation about our love of this great state and the opportunities that are in front of us. Grant, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing well, and I've been looking forward to this conversation, too. Thanks for having me. It's been a, pl- it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Hey, where are you sitting right now? I'm in the Empower office in Ridgeland, Mississippi. That is awesome, man. And I noticed uh, for the radio audience, you can't see this, but you can see around him is a love of the outdoors in Mississippi, Uh we're, you know, I often say on my outdoor show, Super Talk Outdoors, that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors in America because when you think about what's happening in the Delta and the hills and here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, both in terms of offshore fishing and backwater fishing, when you add it all up, there's not another state like Mississippi in the entire United States. And as and I think in during the time we were chatting off air, you didn't get introduced to hunting until a little bit later in life, but you fell in love for it, didn't you? I did. And, you know, uh, I'm a sixth generation Mississippian. And so, you know, roots go deep. And I grew up in Laurel and I grew up around hunting. I mean, pretty much uh, everybody I knew hunted. In fact, I spent seven years kind of high school and college um, during deer season working at a deer processing plant. So I was skinning deer and processing and making sausage. But because my dad didn't hunt himself. I just never hunted. And uh, it's been one of those things that when I hit about 35 um, and I have five kids, so my, my home is always is busy and chaotic and my work is always busy, that it has been such an incredible hobby to pick up just to go sit in the woods and watch the sunset uh, over a Mississippi hill. And um, whether I kill a deer or not, it is just... Uh, one of the one of God's richest blessings about being in Mississippi is sitting in the deer stand, and often I do it alone. But sometimes I'll have one of my kids with me, and they love it too. Yeah, man, I I'm, I mentioned to you that in my conversations with my dear friend Will Primos from Primos Hunting. In fact, we're lucky in Mississippi to have a company like Primos, and then a, the other company Mossy Oak. You know, the 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 fact that we have these sort of world renowned outdoors innovators right here in Mississippi serving as ambassadors to the rest of the world. We're very, very lucky to have them. 
But Will talks about the almost, well, he, he, he doesn't say almost, actually. He calls it a religious experience when he goes turkey hunting. And I mentioned to you that, he, you know, he, he obviously thanks God that he has the opportunity. But he was telling me about one time that he went and he realized that he didn't actually need to say a prayer because at the moment he believed he was actually in a prayer. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. But, you know, it's about storytelling. It's about passing on traditions. It's about enjoying the camaraderie. It's about, you know, getting in touch with nature. It's about appreciating the incredible landscapes of Mississippi. I mean, the list goes on and on. But none of those things say you're actually actually shooting a deer, <laughs> you know, or, or turkey or whatever. Uh, it's, the, it's the whole process that makes it so special, isn't it? And I think as our world gets louder and these devices and screens are beeping at us and sending notifications and their phones and their TVs, and it's just a noisy world that um, I love that the place I hunt doesn't have any cell coverage. So, I mean, everything goes off. Nobody can reach me. I can't reach anybody. I don't have to think about doing work. I'm just sitting there, and it is um, – I'm often talking with my maker in my head, and I'm I am thinking about my priorities, and I'm thinking about the week ahead, and it just to have a place to go sit and be present and be fully present and rest. Uh, it's a great it's a great great experience. It's the it's the ultimate. It really is the ultimate sort of meditation. Uh, although when you have a big deer that you might see. Um, I was hunting last Wednesday, as I mentioned to you. I got very, very lucky. One of our target deer came out and started eating on a food plot that I was hunting on. A 160-inch eight-point, excuse me, nine-point. And, I mean, just maybe the biggest deer I ever had the opportunity to uh, shoot. But um, and, and sort of in advance of that, the several hunts in advance of that, I have, a, uh, I have two sons, Jordan and Justin, uh, uh, Justin works up at Price Waterhouse in New York City on the international consulting team. Just got back from India, for a matter of fact. He'll be coming down hunting with me soon, a uh, week after next. And then uh, my son Jordan, who's went to University of Ole, he went to Ole Miss Law School. He's a lawyer here on the coast, but he is a great fisherman and hunter. Um, we've all been pursuing this one particular deer. And then I have another friend who's I call him a hunting son. His name is Jake Carter. And um, he's been hunting with me. He's now 40 years old, but he's been hunting with me since he was in his teens. He sends me a note while we were hunting, and it, he got a heart rate alarm on his uh, on his on his Apple Watch <laughs> because he was he, some deer came out and they were looking back into the woods and this big deer was around and he you know and I said you know come to think of it man my heart rates up too so yeah you can you can, it can be a calming experience but it can also be um, it can be like um, a, a big shot of adrenaline, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. When those those big ones walk out, it doesn't matter what you were thinking about before. Really, if any deer walks out, it's got my full attention, and it's uh, everything else in the world falls away. Hey, what's interesting is, of course, this is um, this is Thursday. It's a rut in a lot of areas of Mississippi. So people who may be listening to this show, especially those in the Mississippi Delta, certainly folks in Jackson that may be headed up to hunt, they're listening to this show and and they totally get what you and I are talking about. You know, they're they're saying, yeah, that's that's my experience. Yeah, I love that too. It is it is what defines us as Mississippians. But you know, when you consider that 51% of Mississippians live 
in rural areas, 51%. And what's interesting about looking at the at the uh, the census studies is that whereas in other states, people can't wait to get out of the rural areas. They, they work to get out of the rural areas. What's unique about Mississippi is that people who grow up in rural areas in Mississippi typically want to stay there. That's not to say that some don't move out. Certainly, certainly some come back. But when you compare it to other states, it's unique. Mississippi is very unique in that people who live in rural areas, they love those rural areas. And people who don't live in those rural areas, like me, like you, we can't wait to get there. Um, that's a real special quality about Mississippi, isn't it? It really is. Um, and it's been a, a treat to see how many of my peers who grew up in Mississippi and a lot of them took jobs in other places are now when they hit midlife, they are looking for ways to get home. And I talk to a lot of, uh, I have lots of friends who have worked in Nashville or Austin or Atlanta. And a lot of those folks have come back. Um, And similarly, some people that I grew up with in Laurel that came to Jackson, went to college here, maybe worked here for a little bit. And now they've moved home to Laurel uh, because they want to be out of the city and they, and they're, you know, live out, live out in rural Jones County. And um, it is, it's a, it's a special place. And, um, you know, I live in a neighborhood in Madison um, and it's, it's very convenient to everything in our life and our church and my work and kids school. But I'll tell you, my wife and I have talked about when, when we, when we get to a phase where we can do it, we want to build a home that's a little bit out from town that has trees around us and not neighbors immediately close by. And there's just something about that outdoor living in the woods that just pulls on you. And um, it's a it's a blessing to be in a state that has so much opportunity for that outdoor life. Listen, uh, as a publisher, I uh, spent my whole life here in coastal Mississippi, then then pursued a career that took me to Mobile and Alabama and Louisiana and Georgia and Florida, um, had the opportunity to become a, a regional president for the largest privately owned media company in the United States. But I never lost my, my route here in coastal Mississippi. We always kept an anchor in coastal Mississippi. But, you know, I had the opportunity to gain a perspective from, you know, when you travel and you have these, you have responsibilities outside this place, and you meet a lot of people who, you know, did live here that moved away, you know, almost to a person. They were all trying to find their way back. And by the way, I, I never moved, literally moved away. I mean, I, I was always going to have a dual residency. I was lucky to be able to do that. But the reality was um, I love this state. And once it became part of who I am, that was that was something that kind of guided me for the rest of my career. But. Not everybody has that opportunity. Some people, to achieve their goals in life, they have to leave this area. So brain drain is something we talk a lot about, you know, this notion that we we have to create economic opportunity in this state, diversified economic opportunity for people to be successful. You you have really sort of made a, 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 a living now focused on empowering Mississippi. And I want to come back and we're not going to have deep conversations about the specific organization you're part of, but I am interested in learning How did you get into this? When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Grant Callen.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have uh, my friend uh, Grant Callen, who's the founder and CEO of Empower Mississippi. We'll get into what that organization is in just a second. Yeah, curious too about, you know, he's got a great education, but what ultimately led him to the passion that he's involved with today? You know, Grant, one of the things that is so true of every guest that I have on this show, no matter who they are, is they love the state. You know, and I have come to appreciate not just as someone who spends a lot of time in the Mississippi Delta because I love the Mississippi Delta and my farmer friends there. I love to hunt there. I love to spend just spend time there. It cut to contrast it with the Mississippi Gulf Coast is like two separate countries. But that actually is the story of Mississippi. It's a very diversified place. I mean, you've got all the hills is going to be different than the Delta and so on. I think every state has a story like that. But if you go back and study the history of the Delta, it's it's very unique. And so the, the so if you if you think about the Delta, you think of the best of times and the worst of times. I think when I think about the Delta, here's what I think about. I think about culture and the blues and how it impacted us, the role the farmers are playing to to feed the the freaking world, really. Yeah. Um, I think about some of the best hunting in the world. All these things kind of swirl. But the reality is economically, it will always, you know, Mississippi will only rise to a point we're only going to be as strong as our weakest counties. And the Delta has always been a challenge, but there is a way out. I mean, I think about broadband access and what it brings, and I think about education and what it brings. But Mississippi has a really unique set of challenges in front of it. If we're going to, going to lift the whole tide for the state of Mississippi, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, part of my story and the work that I do today is is entirely a product of living in this state. And, you know, I mentioned I grew up in Laurel uh, from a big family. I'm the second of 10 children. So I'm the oldest son. There's seven boys and three girls. And if, if you're in Jones County, you cannot throw a rock without hitting a callan somewhere. Uh, we're all gathering actually up in Jackson in a couple of weeks for uh, Christmas, kind of split up between houses, but it's going to be great. We're going to be wild and crazy, but it's going to be great. Um, but growing up in Laurel, I just thought this state is God's country, and this is the best state in the nation to live in. And I still think that. Um, but I didn't, I was not acquainted with some of our challenges. Um, I lived in, in, a, in a family that um, was uh, middle class. We weren't wealthy by any stretch, um, but they worked really hard to give us a great life and uh, give us opportunity and teach us about the Lord. And um, it, so I didn't, I wasn't acquainted with some of our challenges that, that other people in Mississippi have. And as I, as I've grown, I, I knew I wanted to work in public policy, knew I wanted to be involved in the political process. But early in my career, I started digging into the data and looking at Mississippi, both from a, um, like the, the statistics around our state, but also just traveling the state. I've been in virtually every corner of the state talking to people in communities. And I, it is my belief that about a third of our state, and, and I mean that like a third of our people are really flourishing. They're doing really well. They're thriving. 
kids are in good schools, they're involved in their community, they're economically successful, all the ways we think of human flourishing. And I think about two-thirds of our state, the people are struggling. And there are varying degrees of that. That doesn't mean two-thirds of our state are in poverty, but it means there are barriers, there are challenges, there's, there's suffering, and every state has that. But I want more of that one-third, and I want more people that are um, kind of in the two-thirds in the one-third. And it doesn't always break down neatly, but if you look at the data, you know, we've got about uh, one-third of the state makes are in households that make 50000 annual income or more. Two-thirds of our state are in homes that make less than $50,000 a year. One-third of our state makes um, or has some college. Two-thirds have none. Now, we know today you can have a great life and a great career without a college degree. You can increasingly make a lot of money without a college degree. And you can certainly have great quality of life, even if you're making less than 50000 But these are indicators of quality of life. And so I have just seen that this is both the, gr the greatest state in the nation, and yet we have some significant challenges we got to be clear-eyed about. Hey, so, so Grant, when you came out of college, did you go straight into policy work? I did. Um, I actually did a, uh, a fellowship program in D.C. my last year of college on Capitol Hill that was called the Witherspoon Fellowship. And really, that six-month period is the only period I have lived full-time outside of Mississippi. And it was a great experience, but it also convinced me that the problems that I see and the opportunities I see that I want to work on are really things that we can address in Jackson and in our local communities. And you don't have to go to Washington to fix and address policy challenges. There's some that need to be fixed in Washington, but there's enormous opportunity for us to make changes in Jackson. And so I spent uh, the first, oh, seven or eight years of my career working for another uh, think tank in Mississippi that worked on public policy issues. And then um, was so privileged to be able to start Empower Mississippi right at 10 years ago. Um, in fact, January 1st will be our 10-year anniversary. So uh, it's been quite a ride, and I just think we're, we're just getting started. So Empower Mississippi is such a great brand. It's a great name. Um, the original impetus for the organization was what? It was that we need to create the most opportunity-rich state in the nation. And that's not about big government programs. It's not about handouts. It's about let's get government out of the way and let's create a path for people to better themselves. And honestly, a, a big part of our story comes from um, a, a, a quick story I'll tell. So uh, early in my career, I met a lady named Cynthia in who lives in Canton. And Cynthia was a, a single mom, African-American um, didn't make a lot of money, but she had a fifth grader named Will, and she was wanting great things for him. In fact, Will had this dream, even in the fifth grade, of wanting to be a doctor. And yet, Cynthia lives in Canton, one of the most troubled kind of public school districts in the state. It still is. And she was seeing Will get pulled into the gang culture. And she reached out to me when I was working for this other organization and said, you know, I drive past Madison Public Schools every day. And I would like to get Will into those schools. 
uh, what can you do to help me get Will into a better school system so he'll have a chance of being a doctor? And I tried to help her. And I said, well, can you move to Madison? And she said, no, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, just making it, just making ends meet. You know, a median price of a home in Madison is $400,000. I can't come close to that. I can't move to Madison. And I said, well, what about Canton Academy? Could you afford, you know, a private school in Canton? At the time, tuition was about $5,500 a year. And she said, no, I can't afford that. Um, and so we looked at doing a cross-district transfer. Well, I didn't know this at the time, but Mississippi has some of the strictest laws in the nation about cross-district transfer. And in, you know, long story short, it's real hard to enroll your child in a district that's not the one you live in. Now, the coast, I will tell you a little side note, the coast does this better than the rest of the state. There is a good bit more cross-district transfer happening on the coast, but it's still a cumbersome process. In, in Cynthia and Will's case, neither district would approve it. And so she, she was stuck. And the thought occurred to me, here's a mom who actually wants great things for her son. She's not phoned it in. She is deeply engaged with her child. And the system has made it really hard for her child to get a good education. And we've given her no options. Fast forward, I couldn't help her. I just couldn't help her. And 10 years later, I ran across her phone number. I called her up and was like, Cynthia, whatever happened to Will? And she said, funny you called today. She said he just graduated from Germantown High School, which is in the Madison Public School District. He got a great education. He's enrolled in community college. He is still planning to go to medical school. And I was like, how did you get him into Germantown? And she said, I had to give up custody of my son. So he went to live with his father, who was not a good role model, not a good influence, but he lived in the right school district. She said it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make, but it was the right decision for Will. And honestly, her story applies to education. We, we, we put up barriers that make it hard for people to get their kids into great schools. But we put up barriers at times for entrepreneurs who want to start companies and want to start businesses and provide for their family. We put up barriers as a state for people trying to come out of the prison system that want to rebuild their lives. And so really Empower is focused on, I mean, our mission is we want to create a Mississippi where everyone can rise. And that looks like removing barriers to opportunity in both education, work, and justice. That's a lot. But what you and I both know is that there, there is a role the legislature can play. And there's some great examples of the legislature playing a role that created exponential improvement opportunities for Mississippians. We'll just mention a couple of those. And uh, what you just described was sort of the scenario around school choice. We'll chat about that uh, as well when we come back with uh, my friend uh, Grant Callen from Empower Mississippi. We'll see you after this. Passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. And I have my friend Grant Callen, who is with Empower Mississippi. And when we went to break, he was just beginning to sort of uh, crack the code a bit on what his organization is all about. 
Um, what I what I ended the last segment mentioning is that the legislature can play a huge role. You know, when people think about the legislature, not just in Mississippi, but just in general, this could apply to Congress as well. It can be a very slow and cumbersome process. It can be so hard to watch. We all know that. We all heard, if you like laws and sausage, don't watch either one get made. But the reality is, though, it's slow for a reason. It's slow. Uh, a lot of debate is democracy in action. And the other thing that people tend to conclude is that the legislative process can be incremental. In other words, just minor changes here and there. But there are some really great examples recently. Listen, we could list many of them. But I mentioned one a few minutes ago, and it's uh, the broadband access uh, approach that Mississippi is taking by engaging the electric co-ops across the state. I've mentioned on my show before that after that bill went into, um, went into action and the, the state matched uh, money that the co-ops were putting up, what we saw across the Delta, and this is, all, this is true across most, uh, most electric co-op areas, I think only a couple didn't participate based on my last conversation with Delbert Hoseman. But what you have seen is just miles and miles of fiber optics go into the Mississippi Delta that literally would have never happened before or into rural areas of Mississippi. And what that does is it creates a, a, a situation for families where they can have broadband access in places they would have never expected to have it before. In fact, I did my show last week from the Mississippi Delta, and I'll do it next week from the Mississippi Delta as well, on a farm that is nowhere near anything else. And it has broadband cable coming right into the house that I'm in that would have never been there if had it not been for this bill. And so we see families having access to broadband. That is a revolutionary thing. I'll get your comments about that, but I'll just go ahead and mention the other. And, and it's the, the move that we made to improve literacy in this state, the Literacy-Based Promotion Act, 10 years ago. And what it's done, I mean, it's the Mississippi miracle. Um, and it's and it is it has paid off. It, you would think something so small could could pay so many dividends, but it creates focus. And as you know from being a data nerd yourself, what gets measured gets done. Yep. And but those are two great examples of legislative acts that can be taken that can yield gigantic results, aren't they? They really are. And you talk about broadband. When we think about the future, in every industry, every single industry now is connected to the internet. And when I think about what the future of medicine, what the future of education is gonna look like, it's gonna be involved in the, the digital universe. And you think about how many people in rural parts of Mississippi, because of that broadband, now have access to um, a nurse practitioner that they could communicate with through, through video. Um, and you know we've got to get the regulations to catch up with that to make it as free as possible. But I think we're getting there. And broadband creates the ability for people to communicate in ways they never could have, even in rural areas. I think about education. I mean, people learn um, in dramatically different ways. And COVID, in many ways, disrupted education in some very inconvenient ways. But I think COVID is bringing about a revolution in education that is changing the way we think about making sure our kids get what they need. And it doesn't always look like one brick and mortar school that the school bus picks you up in the front yard and takes you and brings you back. Increasingly, families are thinking about education as something that's personalized and customized. And we're learning through things like 
Khan Academy. That's like this series of YouTube videos where they teach every, you know, complicated uh, math subject or, or physics subject. Um, increasingly, technology allows us to have access to the greatest teachers on any subject in the world in the palm of our hands or in our uh, in our living room. And so you're exactly right. There's there's the technology allows that to happen. And I am extremely optimistic about the direction our state is going in getting out of the way and both at times engaging in places where we need to um, advance technology and advance opportunity and sometimes get out of the way. And one um, one particular idea that I'll mention that I think the legislature really has done that's helped advance um, and create opportunity is the Occupational Licensing Review Board. So, you know, Mississippi has something like 60 professions that require an occupational license. And some of those are things that we certainly would want you to have a license for. And some of them are things that end up becoming a barrier to work, either because it's they require a license that maybe you shouldn't need or to get the license is too onerous and we ought to make it easier to get that license. And so, you know, a number of years ago, the board, I mean, the legislature created this occupational licensing review board and their job is to take a, uh, either a hatchet or a scalpel to a lot of those uh, occupational licensing provisions and say, what makes sense and what doesn't? And how can we make it easier for people to get a license so they can work? Because it's in all of our interest that 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 we have more people working. So yeah, they, they've done a lot of things like that. There's, there's always more work to do, but there's a lot of things the legislature has done to create opportunity here in Mississippi. Well, Grant, you know, one of the things that <clears throat> Haley Barber used to say a lot after Hurricane Katrina is that in China, there's a yin-yang symbol that means disaster and opportunity. It's the same, same thing. And the, the point that he was making is that, you know, we can't do anything about the fact that Hurricane Katrina hit and wiped the coast of Mississippi off the face of the earth. We can't do anything about that. But what we can do something about is what did we learn from this experience and how do we rebuild in a way that makes us more resilient? I mean, he kept, he would say, and it, it was phenomenal. And I was privileged to write the forward to his book after Hurricane Katrina. And I spoke of this. But but he challenged us to say, if we did not build back bigger and better, if we did not take advantage of the opportunities that we've learned about as a result of this disaster, we would have failed our kids and our kids' kids. We would not have provided the kind of generational leadership that we that we should provide. And I, I tell you, man, I was driven by that um, in ways that I can't even fully express. Um, it, was a, it was a powerful anecdote that... Um, that, that touched us in so many different ways. But if you think about it, everything was challenged. Mm. Everything, every societal thing, every infrastructure thing, every governmental thing, we were challenged on every front. And it would be easy to be overwhelmed by all of that, you know? What I just want to make one point is you mentioned the pandemic. Certainly the pandemic taught us how technology can be used to, uh, to overcome a situation and we used it and now that we've got broadband if we face something like that again we're going to be in a better position to be able to take advantage of that what we learned about school districts the, the pandemic was a powerful teaching tool for us some school districts performed extraordinarily well some failed miserably and one of the things that that you've just discussed in the past and that is that 
you think about what happened at the pandemic, about 6% or some, actually maybe more, didn't come back to public school. They went, they went to private school. They went, they went homeschooled. Um, we learned a lot during that time. And one of the things that parents learned was they wanted to have more control over the situation. And, and that's, that cuts across socioeconomic uh, situations. In a lot of ways, if you think about school choice, and that's what that ultimately alludes to, that a lot of people with means already had that. So the pandemic was an opportunity, wasn't it? I mean, we, it was a disaster that created an opportunity. And we had to still seize the moment, just like we did after Hurricane Katrina, or we'll lose this opportunity. Is that the way you see it? 100%. Um, I see tremendous upside. And, and just to your point about Katrina, you can't spend any time on the Gulf Coast without seeing that this place is better today than it was before Katrina. And that's not to uh, make light of how much suffering and pain and challenge that that the Katrina caused, but it's better today because of the leadership of of so many people. And I think that's that's what I think is going to be the reality for education in America and certainly education in Mississippi post the pandemic, because to your point, parents are more engaged in the education of their kids than they've ever been. And um, you're right. Six percent didn't come back to public school. And that's the largest percentage in the nation of any state in the nation. And what we're finding is a lot of those families are in either private school or homeschool, but a lot of there's a lot of new innovation going on in education where parents are banding together and pooling their resources and they're starting schools in their community that are often really small. Uh, we call them micro schools. Uh, there's a kind of proliferation of these schools um, have developed around the country since COVID, and they're certainly happening here since COVID in Mississippi. And what's been remarkable is it's not something that these are not just Republican parents or, or Democrat parents, it's both. We've seen more African-American moms starting schools in their community than any other segment. That, that's incredible. In fact, uh, since passing um, uh, school choice in, in Florida, 800 private schools have emerged, and they, they're all, all stripes. We'll continue this part of the conversation when we come back with our conversation with Grant Callen. We'll see you after this one. To more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show as we uh, come to you from the Citizens Bank Studio talking with my friend Grant Allen, who is the founder and CEO of Empower Mississippi. This has really not been a conversation about Empower, so to speak. It's been more of a conversation about my, my and, and Grant's passions for Mississippi and how, you know, Big, big sort of um, audacious goals can be achieved that can really turn things in a big way. We talked about broadband a, a second ago, the effort that we've made to make sure kids are at reading level before they get out of third grade is a major, major move that was made 10 years ago. And, of course, Mississippi has gotten 
uh, national attention as a result of that, the Mississippi miracle. You know, we were we were chatting a little bit about school choice before we went to went to the break, and I know that um, and and looking at the fights that in, that 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 occur around school choice in states around the nation, um, I wouldn't expect anything less to happen here. But when you go back to the story of Will that you told a few minutes ago about. If a parent has means, then they have a choice now. They can put their kids in private school or they can move or whatever they need to do to accommodate the laws that exist in Mississippi. But if they don't have means, they're incredibly limited. And in Will's case, a mother had to sign over guardianship to a father that was not a a good um, um, mentor. And the kid still found incredible success in his career, and hopefully he's going to go on to be a doctor. What a great story. But she's not alone, though, in wanting her kid to have the best opportunity. And during the pandemic, more parents are now aware, whether whether they have means or not, they're more aware whether their school district's a failure or not. But even if their school district is a success, they've now been introduced to homeschooling and other possibilities. And do you think that homeschooling could create for Mississippi uh, a sort of a, a, a Mississippi miracle 2.0 in the same way that reading the grade level created for Mississippi? I do. I, I, I think I'm a huge supporter of homeschooling. Um, I was homeschooled kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, until college, I had not been in a kind of a traditional classroom, and it was an extraordinary opportunity for me. Um, and I think homeschooling ought to be um, widely available and free. Um, but I also don't think it's the—it's never going to be the fit for every family. And just like a private school is not the fit for every family, and a charter school and a virtual school, it's really much more about making sure we recognize that every child is unique, and we've got to empower their parents who know them best, to match them with a setting. And for some, it will be their neighborhood public school that is you know, creating opportunity and helping prepare those kids for life. For others, it will be homeschool or private school or magnet school. Um, we've just got to make it easier for families to move back and forth because it's not even always about um, you know, making a permanent decision. You know, I've got five kids. And every year, my wife and I are evaluating how is how is how is Harrison doing, and how is Kate doing, and are they thriving where they are? Are they flourishing? Do they need a little bit something different? And you know, I have a I have a friend up here that we recently empowered did a story on, and she lives in the city of Jackson. She has four children. She has one child in Jackson Public School. She has twin boys that are in Midtown Public Charter School, and her youngest is in a private school. And she is not anti-public school, far from it. She loves public school. It's working and is a great thriving environment for one of her children. And then two of her kids are thriving in a charter school and one's in a private school. So part of this is we've got to get away from this system or this thought process of either you're for public school or you're against it. And instead of saying, no, we're for we're for every opportunity thriving and being successful and empowering parents with choice is the best way to make sure all of these options become great. Hey Grant, give me let me give you one more Haley Barber anecdote. We had an editorial board meeting with him once. 
This was after Hurricane Katrina, but he had just left a school district somewhere in the middle part of the state, an extremely poor school district. But in this particular case, the school was incredibly outperforming. And what and and he was he was in this sort of aha moment where he was saying, "Gosh, it it really now is very clear to me that um, it, you can throw a lot of money." at an education, but if you don't have great leadership inside that school district, you can still fail. Or then in cases where you don't have a lot of money, but if you have great leadership, you can literally make a difference. So it just shows you that uh, leadership matters, uh, money does matter, but is not the single determinant in that. And I'll just mention one other thing. the, you know, I, I grew up, I had dyslexia, and I grew up at a time when we didn't even know what it was. And I had to learn to learn on my own, and it's a miracle that I made it, you know, through that. Um, but if you know, if you have special needs like that, let's say you're gifted and and you have special needs that you want to achieve higher possibilities, we just kind of take a lot of the uh, of the options away from parents when it comes to special situations, don't we? We do, and I think you know, to your point about what what Haley said, the the thing that. No matter the the school type, the thing that makes the difference is, are we radically focused on students? That's what makes the difference. It does. It really does. Listen, listen, Grant, I'm going to have you back. Um, We ended up getting a little deeper into school choice. I'm glad we did because it's a good, good conversation. I'll have you back and we're going to pick it up from right there and continue that conversation. But thank you for your leadership. Thanks for your inspiration to empower Mississippi. Have a great holiday, my friend. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Hey, have a great day and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.